Oh, so Lucas, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, I'm no longer dead. You're no longer dead. That's, is that <laughs> the story we're going with? Lucas was dead. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. You were dead for one week, but you got better. Like, is that the greatest line in a video game? Of just Commander Shepard. I thought you were dead. I got better. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> just start opening fire. That's Mass Effect Two. People don't know. It's like your characters presume dead, and then you can meet people who think you're dead, and you just shoot them like, "Now I'm good." I mean, to be fair, you do die. You do, yeah. And you, <laughs> do you know what? You got better. <laughs> you did get better. I they had the technology. They did rebuild them. That line is so good. I just, I got better. Whoever wrote that line just put me in charge of like everything to do with Mass Effect's dialogue. I don't care. You know what? That writer is my favourite writer on the Citadel, Carl. They are. Whoever wrote that line as well. <laughs> this is uh, episode 110. Yeah, and we're staying relevant with those Mass Effect 2 jokes. Ah, oh, man. If you wanted to stay relevant, like Mass Effect, like, you know, punching out a reporter. That's true, yeah. You know, you've got my... And it's, uh, in, the, in our real world, Will Smith chose the renegade choice. <laughs> that renegade prompt popped up on screen. He saw it, he pressed right trigger, and he walked up and he clocked Chris Rock right across the chops. And the thing was as well, you know it's one of those moments where you're waiting for the renegade trigger to pop up and you press it like second one. Yeah, you're like mashing it. No hesitation, no surrender. And I guess we have to talk about that because it's the most talked about thing on planet Earth. Yeah. Two celebrities getting into a slap fight. Well, it wasn't much of a fight. Chris Rock just, you know, took the, the higher road and just took yeah. it. Because I woke up at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon because I had mm. like a long night the night before. And I was like, Will Smith was trending. I was like, oh my God, did he die? So like, oh, he slapped somebody. It's like, oh, okay, was it like paparazzi? No, he slapped Chris Rock. Okay. On national TV mm-hmm. at the Oscars. I'm like, wait, what? And it took me a good long while to even be like, that cynical part of my brain is like, well, it's obviously a bit. And then you find out that it's like, oh yeah, the police were asking Chris Rock to like file a report. And um, and then there's here's pictures of like, it. just after it happened, um, Will Smith's publicity is in his ear, like the fuck you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so people wondering why, I'm like, why, why are you being so cynical, Carl? I just think it was a bit. A couple of years ago, at uh, the, the Oscars, again, there was a selfie, an impromptu, quote unquote, selfie taken by Ellen DeGeneres with a bunch of celebrities, which quickly became one of the most liked and retweeted images on the internet. I believe it was the most shared image of all time at the time. Yeah. Um, and it turns out a couple months later, Samsung paid Ellen DeGeneres to do that. It was all a big setup. And Carl, big is setup. this the most anybody has talked about the oscars in like five years since that photo yeah. yes yes it is so that's why like my cynical part of my brain's coming in but it seems that it's not but then again that selfie seemed real so i'm gonna keep being cynical because everything to do with the world of celebrity the hollywoodness the, the celebrity the oscarness like yeah there's there's a lot that makes me think like mm, what the fuck's going on here really but it and, would and as well i don't care i i don't really care but I will just say that, okay, Chris Rock made like a joke in very poor taste, but at the same time, like clearly Will Smith has other things going on, and obviously his wife is suffering with alopecia or suffers from alopecia, and like clearly he's taking that frustration out on Chris Rock unfairly, uh, I would presume, unless there's something yeah. I don't know about behind the scenes. So my only response to it when I heard it all was just, man, I wish Ricky Gervais was hosting this Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first response. It's it just, just like, even... I, I, again, like, I just think he took it a bit far. Like, okay, he, he made a bad joke, 
he could have sat in his chair and just say, don't say anything about my wife. Like he screamed I, I after he slapped him. I will say it was very, very fucking funny because it wasn't a punch. It was just like a perfect slap. It was it was a good form slap, I'll but give him that's that. That's what I mean. It was like the most, like, people have been breaking it down. It's like, Joe, that, the Fibonacci thing, like that circle, <laughs> like the golden ratio. Yeah. It's like, look, like, shout outs to Will Smith for maintaining the perfect ratio <laughs> on his slap. So it might go down in history as the most like just viewed thing that ever happens at the Oscars. Potentially, they're probably going to have like an in memoriam bit for it next year. And I like how um, there was like a, a news article that just I saw trending like not long ago on Twitter that was okay. Oh, did you know that some of the images that are being shared virally were actually modified images of okay. the slap? And it's like, yeah, of course. Of course, people have been memeing on it. Like, what do you oh, mean? Okay. Oh, okay. Chris, they were like saying they're like edited as if like they're trying to mislead you. It's like no, they're just photoshopping it to make them pe- like JoJo characters. Yeah, people are making jokes out of it, and they're like, did you know? Not all of these images are actually real. Some of them are edited. It's like, yeah, someone edited it to make it look like it was a Smash Bros. match. That didn't really happen. He didn't fly oh. off screen at three hundred percent damage. I like the um, Elden Ring one. Oh, <laughs> it's like Will of the First Bel Air <laughs> and the life bar on the bottom. And that's the thing, like, one of the things I both adore and abhor about modern culture is that nothing can ever be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. It's like the instant it happened, like, the memes are already started. And that's not a thing unique to modern culture because I distinctly recall um, as a child or like a younger person, I, I don't remember the exact age, but I think it was like when Bin Laden had been killed. Mm. It was like my dad, within 30 seconds, got a text. Just a text. And it was like one of those, like, those shit viral jokes that would go around on text messages that everyone mm. forward to each other. Yeah. Of just like um, record as hide and seek champion. Um, uh, of course. Awarded. The classic. And it's that one, thing, yeah. like, it's been a thing for as long as mass communication has existed. It's just now we have the software to jump on top of it with like funny clips and photoshops instead of it being a wall of text as a joke. People work so fast. Mm -hmm. Like so quickly. Like there are like amazing edits of it out there already. And that's all I really want to talk about in regards to it because someone's going to ask, what did you think? It's like, well, I think the same with everyone of like the fuck is going on. This is embarrassing. This is a two 50 year old millionaires getting a literal slap fight on um, the world stage. As I say earlier, just poor taste. Like, just if you if you're annoyed by it, just call him out. Don't good hit though. Don't go and fucking assault him on national television and make him look like a fucking fool. But make them both look like fools. To be honest, it, is. it really brings down the tone of the entire night, especially when afterwards he's not escorted from the building. Instead, he's he given an Oscar. Is that, that what happened? I didn't know the exact time frame, so I don't care about the Oscars. I think Oscar. he it's slapped all him scam. first, and then afterwards got the best actor. Um, that makes not... it... Oh, man. It's like, he that should, he it should have like... been taken out of the building. Well, they're not given the Oscar. Yeah, and I, I've seen people like, oh, they, they should recall like his Oscar for violence and stuff, and then it's like, here's all of these like horrible white men that won Oscars that never got there. Shit Roman taken Polanski. away for like sexual assault and shit. So yeah, Roman Polanski is uh, convicted of like raping a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Got a standing ovation when he got his lifetime achievement award, and you can actually see as well when he gets the ovation. Some of the celebrities, it's like 
there's a psychological concept. I think it's like it's, it's either the bystander effect or something that came across like there's the Milgram experiments. Mm. Um, um, if people don't know the Milgram experiments, they were like appeals to authority to test like how much will people go along with the group if they so they don't have to stand out and be an other because no human wants to be the other in a group setting. You all you all generally go along with what the group thinks and says so that you don't get ostracized. Yeah, and you can see as that he's getting the standing ovation. Some celebrities in the audience like, wait, what are we really doing this? And they look around, see that everyone else is, and then start to do it as well because they oh, don't want yeah. to be left out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're applauding a, a rapist. Uh, okay. Okay, we're, just, we're, we're doing this. We're going with this as a group. We've decided, oh, okay. okay. It's like, and um, I, I still remember, like, there's the one of the Darren Brown shows that was about, you know, conforming with everybody else. And going it, along yes. with it, um, he did like one of those tests where he like picks out people that would be susceptible to the you know the bigger show of all. Like during the audition phases, one of the audition parts was just I'm gonna sit one person in a room, and they're the like plan among twenty people, mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna tell them to randomly stand up while everyone else is sat down. It's whoever stands up. And like one selected. person stands up and then you see like a couple of other people go, wait, what? Like, we, is that what we do? we're standing up now? And then you see like two, three people follow and then all of a sudden like, everyone else starts looking around like, wait, oh, we're, we're all meant to stand. Okay, I guess we're all standing up now. Yep. And then I think after a while, doesn't you take that, per- that plant out of the room but then the people continue to do it not knowing why they are. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, there's plenty of examples of that in the real world. Um, that can loads, be done yeah. for both fun and just um, like the a view into a glimpse, if you will, into the darker aspects of the human psyche of how much people will go against their own, like in a lot of cases, their own beliefs mm-hmm. to not get ostracized. Like the famous one is the lion experiment, which is where you get a group of people, um, set like m- the majority of which are plants, and you ask them, so which one of these lines is longer? And one of the lines is clearly longer than the other one. And then you get the majority, you get all your plants to pick the shorter line. And most people will, to agree with the group, just also select the shorter line, actively going against what their own eyes can see. Yeah, and I guess that's just one of those weird things that is so subconscious within our brain because obviously. Humans don't want to be left out. Well, yeah, the entire reason why, you know neanderthals evolved and kind of thrived in the first place was because of like societies and keeping together as groups and that was like our strength and you were the weak part of the pack if you weren't in the group so i think it's just one of those weird things that we are inherently social creatures and we will do our best to fit in with everyone else around us whether we like it or not yeah, and just stuff like that is always like hilarious to just to read about and learn until you realise, wow, this is how you get cults. Yeah, this is how cults really is, are yeah. formed. And I was watching um, something on Netflix not long ago where they were talking about like, you know, um, like kind of the concept of brainwashing and like cultism and stuff. And a lot of the time, it's just, well, this was the only group that was nice to me and let me in. So I'll do whatever they say. I'll just fit in with whatever the fuck they do because I've got somebody. 
And that's also how you get like um, uh, those horrible alt-right misogynistic movements like men's rights movements. So it's like the really awful parts of that. It's like men who feel disenfranchised and just any, and this is the one place they feel they're accepted. Mm -hmm. And they'll just like conform to whatever the group thinks so that they don't have to uh, be ostracized from that group. And the more of their personality they put into it, um, the harsher, the harder it is to pull them back out because now so much of their personality hinges on the acceptance of that group. Yeah, and I think there was like one interview with one woman who um, was like part of a neo-Nazi group when she was younger, and it was like, oh yeah, and then I ended up, you know, um, becoming like a girlfriend to one of the guys that was there. And then all of a sudden, like I think he went off to like a war or something. Mm-hmm. And she had nowhere to go, so he was like, you can live with my family, and none of his family were like that. And just being accepted by a normal group of people, she was just like, oh, I slowly started to realise that, A, I didn't need to be in that one group to find people that would appreciate and love me, and B, like, holy shit, I started seeing how fucked up everything that we were doing was. Yeah, that's where it is a lot of the time, and that's maybe like not the best topic of discussion for a comedy podcast, but it's no, very it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a it's fascinating concept. Fascinating to me, yeah. That people can be so easily swayed to act against their own best, in, uh, their own self and best interest, and also um, uh, to actively disenfranchise others, mm-hmm. even though that's the reason that they want to be accepted by that group. It's all very interesting. But this is episode one ten, and I think before we get into anything, we need to make an announcement, don't we, Lucas? An announcement of an announcement, yes. Yes, because we can't make the proper announcement now because it won't coincide. The release of this podcast will not coincide with the proper announcement, but. For anyone who follows this podcast because they like the Fact Fiend channel, keep an eye on the Fact Fiend channel for Friday. Friday for an announcement and then Saturday for um, some kind of live streaming thing to go along with the announcement, yes. We're good at this, aren't we? We are, and it's just one of those weird things of, I know this podcast coming out on the Thursday, so people listen out on the day of release, like, you're going to be one day before the announcement, and obviously we want to keep the announcement as a surprise for people. But yeah, it's just the keep, last thing keep I your eyes out over the weekend spoil. on Fat Feed. Last thing I want is people to spoil it because people can't help themselves. Yeah. People really can't help themselves when it comes to spoiling stuff. And it's not that it's anything that needs to be kept a secret. It's just it'll be a fun announcement and if we can keep yep. it a nice surprise. And it has well been something we've worked on for a while. So to have it all like at the last possible second just like fall over and fail and like have the whole thing be a bit more flaccid. It's really funny because it gives me the tiniest little insight into like how disheartening it must be when you know say for example like something like e3 is about to happen and they get and the like day before, before like oh yeah here's a leak of the entire press conference that nintendo is about to do you must be like, i just i've just spent months putting this all together like and obviously that's not a, a new concept in my brain i always feel bad for the people trying to to market these things that just get it ruined like the day before or whatever or the week before and yeah it just gives me that tiny like actual personal experience of it if just like man this would be really fucking annoying and disheartening if this got ruined before we intended it like we're trying to craft a specific experience and um uh, moment and then to have it just like ruined by someone who's like they can't help themselves like no i need mm-hmm. to know Speaking of which, speaking of someone needing to know something as well, there is something I wanted to discuss, Lucas. Okay. And uh, before that, you mentioned that you weren't very well last week. And I was not, we're, no. We're not. So we apologize for not having a podcast last week. Um, like one of us was not well. 
I, I was just unable to work last week because... Uh, yeah, which happens. Yeah, I was ill, so apologies. I just wanted to like note that because we mentioned it but then didn't clarify, so we're not clarifying because it's no one's business. Mm-hmm. It was just... But, uh, snake got me in the eye again, you know. It did. And then speaking of Lucas, that's nobody's business. Did you see <laughs> the message I got a few days ago? You should have done because I sent it to the group chat. We talked about it. This is the one that you sent to the group chat, right? Yeah. It is indeed, yes. Well, yeah. That's all that lovely message. We've got a lovely message. I'm going to read it out here. I'm not going to call the person's name. And if they happen to be listening to this, just from Lucas's and my own reaction, just maybe um, consider examining your own behavior and how it impacts others. But we have here Hey, Carl, long time fan from back in the crack day. Sub on the Fact Fiend channel and someone who always gets a kick out of seeing, written by Carl Smallwood on the Today I Found Out channel. I say all of that so that when I ask my question, I hope you take it as someone who appreciates your work and is aware of parasocial relations and how they can go. And understand I don't know you, so my assumptions are by no means considered the end of the story on who you are. So already, Lucas, thoughts. And I have cleared that up a little bit because it was uh, written a bit poorly. Um, Not formatted I I just want to say that Carl did not say, he said cracked it sounded like you said from back in the crack days. Cracked, uh, yes. Cracked, where he wrote, wrote for the website Cracked, not when him and this person were like on crack together or something. Yeah, I have never met this person ever. I've no. never interacted with them as far as I'm aware, but they have been a long time follower of my content. And they seem mm-hmm. to be aware of the concepts of parasocial relationships, which is something yeah. we talked about before, but do you want to just clarify dead quick? People who maybe don't know. Uh, so it's just, you know, seeing for example carl on a youtube channel and developing a one-sided relationship with someone where you think you know the person but they have no idea who you are yeah essentially as luke's like nailed it there just a one-sided relationship and uh, how much that can be skewed to that one side varies and Mm -hmm. it can go from being largely harmless you know i'd argue we all have parasocial relationships in our lives like no celebrities we talked about you know, Will Smith just earlier. We don't know Will Smith. We don't know Chris Rock, but we still felt that we should talk about that thing. Mm-hmm. We, were t- we were commenting on that. And, you know, maybe that's not the right thing. Because we don't have personal insight into their lives or their motivations. No, but it's part of, like, you know, modern culture, modern culture. at least, you know, Western culture, for sure, is just have these parasocial relationships, whether you like, about, like it or not, whether you think about it or not. And then to a lesser extent, you have just like, you know, when you watch TV shows and things like that, you get attached to the characters in them and by mm-hmm. the actors in them. And then the very furthest edges of this, you border on a concept known as hyper-reality, where it's people are unable to distinguish um, reality um, as it exists to the reality they consume in media. And that's where you get stories about like actors and stuff being associated with their characters and fans like treating them as if they are their character or forming a relationship with their character or the persona they put on in the public eye. Yeah, not being right. able to separate the actor from the character and just treating them as one, yeah. Yeah, and you have that a lot with social media and online creators, where I've personally experienced it a few times, but you've no doubt seen it cause you follow like a lot of podcasts and stuff, and they've talked about it as well, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Of fans just not being able to distinguish, like, I'm not your friend. You hear me talking to my friends, and you listen in on that conversation... But that doesn't mean that you are part of that conversation. Yeah, that and I'm sense. sure like all of us have experienced that in one way or another and probably like strayed too far, maybe not to like a ridiculous extent, but maybe just like, you know, part of a tweet that was maybe a bit too familiar to somebody or something like that. But it's not that it's like the worst thing in the world. It's just something that you can try and be better at and improve on. 
It is well. It's part of the humans. We talked earlier, like humans don't like being left out. So anything mm-hmm. that makes you feel part of something is something that's it's an enticing concept and it's hard to avoid. But as long as you're aware of it and able to just have that bit of self-awareness about yourself, it's quite good. But this person has no self-awareness because they continue. All that being said, I'm writing to ask you about the state of the channel. So right away, Lucas, thoughts. Uh, well, that's to do with you and, you know, us editors behind the scenes, and mm-hmm. that's about all it concerns, really. Yeah. But this person goes on for, like, another th- um, uh, 200 words. But that thing of, hey, I'm aware of parasocial relationships. Anyway, tell me about private business dealings and how things are going behind the scenes of the channel you run with your friends. Yeah, it's like, I'm aware, but also um, I don't tell care. Me. Tell me. I want to know. I just, and that's the thing as well. Part of this is like um, something you picked up on in the discussion we had in the, the group chat is they feel, enti- they drop that thing of like, I followed you for a while, which is the subtle indicator of, well, I'm a bigger fan than other fans. So you, you should, should give me. a shit about what I say because I knew you from all the way back in the crack days. Like my input carries more weight than the input of somebody, one of those strangers who are forming parasocial relationships with you. I know you better, so I think you should answer this question. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like, they even feel entitled to ask this question um, says a lot. And it, they continue. Because uh, it's not like got no paragraphs or anything, so I keep losing where I am. Uh, one of the things I have respected about you and the way you run your channel slash business. Oh, sorry. Um, the state of the channel and whether or not we're in the ramp down period. One of the things I have respected about you and the way you run your business slash channel is that you seem to do things in the fair way and the way you choose to do it, even at the cost of immediate financial gain. The thing that stuck out to me was a while back when you decided due to the algorithm or the algorithm to cut the ending riff from your videos. And I think we did talk about that, didn't we? But like it was on various bits of social media, I imagine. Yeah, we call the exact time we did it. We've talked about it here and there and everywhere, but yeah, just basically we we saw that the stats were dropping a bit on YouTube and, you know, like any sensible person would, we try to do what we can to adhere a little bit more to YouTube's algorithm to help out the statistics, but at the same time, try and keep Fact Fiend as close to Fact Fiend as it still was. Yeah, and you also notice, folks at home, Lucas, you, the operative word in his sentence there was we, because it was a decision we made. Mm-hmm. We all made that. It was not a decision made by me. And this person seems to think that it is. They're like, you decided to do this. Like, no, it was a decision made by group committee. We all sat down, we all talked about it, and we all came to the conclusion that that was the best solution. Yeah, I remember, like, you know, early on in seeing, like, the numbers go down, I, I said maybe I could start cutting Wiki Weekends from, like, 18 to 20 minutes to more like 10 because that's where YouTube normally likes to um hit video times but obviously it, it's a bit unclear because youtube's a constantly moving target and mm-hmm. youtube shorts have like thrown a wrench in the works but that i remember was like a suggestion that i made at some point so yeah like yeah. it's not just carl sitting there mandating that we we do x and y with videos well speaking of like me mandating what we do with x and y videos shortly after that i noticed that you made sure your editors are getting their youtube link in the closing card Again, I'm, I noticed that you did yeah. this. And again, that was a decision. I don't think I had anything to do with because you guys edit videos. Oh, I literally just mentioned to you like one time, just um, am I all right to just put my link to my YouTube channel in the end card? And you're like, yeah, fine. Yeah, whatever. Like, you edit it, you can put what you want in. Yeah, feel free to promote your, your own work because 
you know, you put them working on on Fafine. So I was like, okay, yeah. I'll I'll put in just then I literally Brad, just, just a link that. to my Legend of Canada channel on on YouTube, yeah. And then Brad yeah. did the same, I believe, yeah. Nisha did the same thing, and again, yeah. that was it's just be frank here. I noticed that you did this. It's like no, and this is the thing as well. They 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 wouldn't know this if they follow the channel more closely, but they would know not to make the assumption. But mm-hmm. they clearly like, you know, because they've watched the channel so long, they feel that their assumption is correct. You know what I mean? It's like a weird yeah, thing yeah. here of like, they've acknowledged like, oh yeah, I've watched your channel for a long time. Anyway, I've noticed that you did this, you did that. Speaking with this like assumed authority on decisions of which they have no actual insight. And I'm wrong. Yeah. Have which is what makes it more incorrectly as well, yeah. And then, so they've assumed something incorrectly and are now getting annoyed about that assumption. Which I think just sums up the internet, isn't it? It's like, they decided (laughs) to take something or read something incorrectly and are now mad about how they read it. Yeah. Then today, um, the 3rd, 28-22, so that's like American date the wrong way around. Oh, yeah. 28th day of the third month. I hate American um, uh, date keeping. It makes no sense. (laughs) It goes day, month, year. The shortest, the medium, the longest. Anyway, so then today, the Will Smith upload, which does seem a bit cash-grabby, given what happened at the Oscars. And there we go, it all comes full circle. Yeah, and, and to, like to clarify, a Will Smith reissue video that had nothing to do with the Oscars did go up the day after, but that yeah. was something that was scheduled, I believe, like four or five weeks beforehand. Yeah, and people can choose not to believe us on this one, but... I think myself and Lucas have more insight into how the channel runs than some random fucker on Twitter. <laughs> and I had to clarify with Brad because Brad's the one who handled that reissue. Um, and he said, yeah, it's been in my archives for about a month. I only got around to uploading it two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. How was I supposed to know that Will Smith was going to get in a slap fight on national TV? <laughs> and every other comment on that video is someone like, this is really like um, either unfortunate timing or great timing. And it's like, we didn't know. It was uploaded and scheduled two weeks ago, and we don't tend to move around the schedule that much. And I would also argue that it's great timing because yeah. it's not as if we we were trying to make money off like the actual, you know, problematic um, situation itself. It was just we happened to talk about Will Smith on the day yeah. after Will Smith was in the news. I think I described it as serendipitous timing, mm-hmm. where it wasn't um, planned, but you know, it's it's quite fortunate that it happened that way. And yeah. as well, because I think we talked before about we had a bunch of people asking us, talk about um, Zelensky, the Ukrainian prime minister. Like, no, we don't really want to use a war for clout online. Mm-hmm. But this is a, a slap fight between millionaires. <laughs> this is not serious. It's not. So even if we are riding the algorithm the way, I don't. I see those things as completely different. And I mm-hmm. have had feedback of, well, you said you wouldn't ride the algorithm when it came to the war. Why is this any different? Because the war is killing people. This was a slap. No, this is serious business, Carl. This is it's, as it's serious a, as a war. There's a serious discussion that can be had about it, and people are having that discussion about you know what it means for like toxic masculinity and just how violence is portrayed in the media. And that's a discussion that is important and is being had. It's not a war. That's a that's a jumping off point for a, an important discussion, but it's not an important situation in itself, especially no. not in comparison to like a, a war, war slash war crime being made. It's like yeah, and then the discussion it feeling a bit cash grabby. It's like this is one of the things that I I we've talked a lot of times about how we try so hard 
to be transparent in how much money the channel makes mm-hmm. and how we run things behind the scenes. And I often find myself thinking, if I'd never done that, would I have to deal with this shit? No. Because because we've established that we do that. Whenever people see something, that see, to them seems like more than not doing anything. It's like, well, that's not very nice. I was like, about why are you to say that? that. I was like, if if you'd always ridden the algorithm and always jumped on trends, you would never have anyone calling you out for it. But it's only because we, you, we normally like have that sense of like we'll we'll talk about what we want to talk about and whether it's trendy or not. It's like the moment we start adhering to a trend, people are like oh god, even accidentally. Oh, I can't believe that you're like trying to get views and earn money. It's like it's almost like that's what being a YouTuber's about. Yeah, it's that thing of like, and I often find myself thinking. If I'd never established that early in the Fact Fiend days, one would be successful. Because I do wonder, like, is part of our success due to the fact we deliberately avoided trends? But at mm-hmm. the same time, would I have to deal with people getting annoyed when we do follow trends, even accidentally? I would assume you'd, you'd never have to deal with people calling you out for following a trend. Nope. And that's frustrating. And then we have here. Um, again, I would like to stress that I fully acknowledge I know nothing about you. I don't presume any of the things I bring up, and if anything, they're interpretations of observations. <laughs> it's like, why say it then? Yeah. Uh, I'm just really curious on the state of the channel, and felt that I would ask semi-privately as to not fuel a sky is falling. If and when I prove to be wrong, it's like, why? Why do you feel compelled to ask this question? It's none of your business. <laughs> if we've not put anything out publicly about it, then we don't want it to be out publicly. Mm-hmm. And it's just very weird to me that they're like, well, I'm curious, therefore, like, I'm entitled to know. So just because you send a private message to somebody doesn't mean, like, that you have any entitlement to get a response. Mm -hmm. Like, just because you don't want to make it public doesn't mean that you have any reason to, like, let them know. And again, I feel like if we'd not been as transparent and open as we are, would there be people in my DMs on, like, a on every other day, mm-hmm. demanding to know things about the channel that are, for all intents, they're very private. There's there's no reason for anyone out there to know them. Like, how many people are messaging Mr. Beast and going like, well, I've noticed that you started doing X and Y with your channel. I need a private discussion about what you're doing. As someone who's followed your channel for a while, I feel like you owe me. And I mm-hmm. always defer, or refer to, I should say, the Simpsons in this moment, the greatest line anyone ever wrote on that show speaking of like you know great lines in media which is the itchy and scratchy and poochy episode mm. where comic book guy is shitting on itchy and scratchy and bart simpson asks him through so basically the voice of the show asking him um in response to um uh, comic book guy saying as a loyal viewer i feel like they owe me bart responds if any uh, they've given you Hundreds of hours of entertainment for free. What could they possibly owe you? If anything, you owe them. Mm-hmm. And it's just that one, isn't it? Of like, as a loyal viewer, I feel like they owe me because I've supported them. It's like, but they've given you thousands of hours of entertainment for free. Like, like you know, and arguably that exchange is fair, as most people see it. So you could argue one way or other, but that's a fair exchange there. And that's like the exchange that most people. Oh, so it's a. It's a fair exchange, and it's the one in which the creator is happy with. But if you really want to argue about it, if anything, it's very one-sided in the creator's um, uh, favor. Mm-hmm. Because they're giving, they're putting so much more into this than you are. 
it's like, yeah, you are giving us your time and views, but at the same time, we are literally providing free content. Yeah, we're providing free content that takes us hundreds of thousands of hours to make. And you sit there and you watch it very passively. And that's the deal that was struggle. Like when, and that's the thing when you get, like, Sims are very pressing in that regard of um, uh, foreseeing just the entitlement of fans. Of, well, I demand to know. I've been watching this for a long time. I need to know how things run behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's none of your business. Well, I feel like it is. But it's not. But I feel like it is. And it's just, oh, well, yeah, Lucas, discuss. Yeah, it's just, again, it's that, that weird thing of being on this side of parasocial relationships, isn't it? Of just a lot of people will see that they've, you know, quote unquote, invested time in you and your content and therefore think that you owe them something back when in reality, what we owe them is nothing because we've already given them entertainment and content for free. And anything more we choose to add on top of that is entirely our choice, not theirs. But mm-hmm. this is something we've dealt with before and we talked about it before, but that was just, it was that perfect storm of events that all just coincided together of like, I woke up, the Will Smith thing happened. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's kind of weird. I'm probably going to get asked that a lot on stream, what have you. We'll probably have to mention it on the podcast later that day because I don't really check the channel that much. I only check it like, you know, once like, uh, like in the evening just to make sure the analytics are looking good. Wait, there's a Will Smith video out today. Oh, fuck. Meshes the group chat. Oh, God, like, did we, like, what happened here? Barrett explains. Oh, that makes sense. I'm sure everyone will be fine. We'll leave a comment on the top just saying this mm-hmm. was, like, you know, just a, conf- a weird confluence of events that resulted in this happening. It wasn't intentional, um, although it is very funny. Um, it's very cute that everyone thinks we're able to get videos out this quickly. <laughs> and then there's that message of, look, Carl, um, I've noticed that video, and I think you need to explain a few things to me. Mm-hmm. Like, to me. Normally when we get those, it's them saying, like, I think you owe it to your audience, which is just as, like, toxic a mindset, but you can understand it a little bit more of they think they're speaking for your entire audience. They're not, but they think they are. Yeah, yeah. But when it's just them speaking for themselves, like, I feel like I deserve an explanation privately from you. Uh, well, You've got to take time out of your day to explain to me these things I don't understand and have no business asking about. Yeah, and I understand that from this person's perspective and from a lot of people's perspective, they're probably thinking, look, it's a sign that I care that I'm reaching out and I see that, you know, as we mentioned, like, analytics are, are lower than they used to be on the channel, like views and stuff are down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm concerned about this channel. Like, I'd, I'd really like to know what's going to go on and I'm concerned about like the, the future of the content they enjoy and I get that that's probably where that person's coming from in their head, but it really doesn't come across that way. And you need to also consider the fact that there's also like 750 other thousand people subscribed to the channel that may also badger and harass Carl on any platform that he's available on. Is that a thing as well, Arb, if you feel entitled to a response because you watch the channel? What's to say everyone... Is that thing of like give a mouse a cookie? Mm -hmm. If you give one person something... Everyone else is going to want it. It's why um, uh, I remember a couple months ago, maybe a year or so ago now, you know, time is a flat circle and just this nightmare hellscape. Just you can't <laughs> tell when one day ends and another begins. But if some guy asked, like, oh, can you give me a shout out in a video? Coming out tomorrow? He's like, oh, it's my birthday tomorrow. Can you give me a shout out in the video? And it's like, one, that video that's going out tomorrow was recorded months ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And we have no choice on it. And we can't 
really put something in the video to wish you a happy birthday. Also, if I do that for you, I've got to do it for everybody. Mm-hmm. I remember the guy getting annoyed of like, well, no, I you think don't it, have to do it for me. Was it not someone, like, I think someone asked for their husband to get shouted out or something, but yeah. That was another one that happened as Oh, well. was that a different one? Right, That okay. was a different time it happened, yeah. But yeah. The, the reason I remember that one is because they got annoyed of like, well, it's not that much work. It's only like, you know, a minute. And so well, it's not a minute. It's going to take me a minute to record it. Then I've got to send it to Brad. He's mm-hmm. got to edit it. He's got to put it into the video. He's got to re-upload the video, re-edit the video, re-render the video. Let's mm-hmm. get it all up. We've got to reschedule it. We've got to put all like, you know, the same tags and stuff back in there. So that's going to, you know, it's at least an hour, two hours of work. And then the person went, well, I didn't know that. And it's like, <laughs> we did. And that's why I said no. Yeah. And just, yeah, it, it's always one of those things of people might see an individual case and go, well, there's nothing that bad about this, but... Mm. It is just that thing of, yes, I understand that a lot of the time this does come from, as I say, a a good place, a positive place. And what people think in their head is like something that just shows concern or shows appreciation for the content or whatever. But you've got to think that there's so many other people out there that also feel entitled to our, like, you know, time, our, our answers, our efforts. It's just... And obviously as well, with Carl being the only one on camera, he gets the brunt of it. Are you saying that there are people out there who aren't me? Mm, No. Is that what you're saying? Are you trying to tell me now there are people out there in this world (laughs) who are not me? Are you telling me I'm not the protagonist of life, Carl? I am not the protagonist of reality. It's (laughs) it's It's a tough pill to swallow, but I guess I have to. You know, I want to swing it back around to like that discussion earlier, right? The renegade options in life. Because I like that idea. I like that concept. Have you have had any moments recently where you've chosen the renegade option? You chose violence. Um, no, but I had that. I moment. I mean, like in an abstract. I don't mean like punching someone, but it's like there's a moment where it's like I could do something really like mean or out of character here, and you chose to do it because in that moment you felt it was the right choice. Not one I chose to do it, but it was a weird situation where. Like, that button prompt was in the corner of my mind, and I was ready to press it, but never needed to. to. Okay. Um, if you're so, comfortable saying it, what it is. Yeah, yeah. It? So it's, it's just something silly, because basically, like, I um I went to the shop the other day, and I'll say I was ill. It was, like, the first time I'd left the house in, like, a week. Mm-hmm. And um I just, like, walked out of the shop, and, like, a couple of, you know, teenagers gave me a weird look mm-hmm. and started, like, following behind me. And then about a minute later, I felt something like hit the back of my head and my jacket. And I was like, some, have they followed me and like thrown some shit at me? And I was ready to like, you know, turn around and tell them to, to fuck off or worse. Mm-hmm. And then it, it turns around that I just got shot on by a bird. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fantastic. But I, you know, in that head, I like in my head, I had that brief moment where I was like, these fucking dickheads want to start something while I've just been ill for a fucking week and I'm not in the mood. Mm-hmm. And I turn around and no one was there. And then like, I look at my hat and I'm like, oh, there's bird shit on me. I said, for fuck's sake. It's like in that you were ready to choose violence. I was violence. ready. But yeah, not, not that I would have like, you know, gone and assaulted just, them. Also. I would have probably told them to piss off. Just been very angry. I, I had uh, a similarly, um, uh, a similar experience, I should say. I was like in the shop a couple months ago mm-hmm. with my missus, who, uh, for context, is mixed race. And we were in the shop, and uh, just while I was buying some food, just a guy like was behind this older gentleman, not wearing a mask, I should point out. 
um, just as my girlfriend was like, you know, talking to the cashier, just the old man started talking over her to the cashier and just went, they're very polite, the Chinese, aren't they? And my girlfriend and me looked at each other and the cashier looked at us and we were like, did that guy just say what I think he said? And we like thought nothing more of it because we were like, mm-hmm. he can't have said something that overtly racist directly in front of us. And then just like my girlfriend tried talking, he's like, yeah, it's like, um, I don't mind the Chinese. They're like, you know, they're, those Chinese, they're quite nice, aren't they? they're quite polite. And my girlfriend just like was so fuming. Mm-hmm. And I was lots of just like, that's when the, the prompt comes up. I was like, shut the fuck up. The renegade prompts, I was that mad. He was like, I didn't say anything. It's like, I urged, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And then he just started muttering under his breath. Like, no, no, no. My girl was like, don't, don't say anything. You've told it, shut up. You've done it. And I was like, I was fuming. And that was the first time I've experienced racism. And I only experienced it vicariously through somebody else. And it pissed me off. So I can only imagine how much it pisses people off who live it every day. Oh, yeah, totally. But in that moment, I was like, I could see the button prompt there of like, Joe, the punch the reporter option. (laughs) It was there. It was flashing. I was like, no. Instead, you just chose like the red dialogue option. You didn't go like the full renegade. I didn't pull the the right trigger, but I did select the renegade um, uh, response. And um, I do remember because I I think I came over either that, like later that day or like the day after. Mm -hmm. And I remember you just being like, I was still mad about it, yeah. Oh, I, Lucas, like I tell you what, I was in the shop earlier, and oh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I saw red, and my girlfriend was like, I "Don't," mm-hmm. because this is the thing that like, it was so unexpected that he was just being that blatant, or just like just being racist, <laughs> just out loud, talking to nobody in particular. Yeah, and it's really weird. Like, I, I never. Obviously, I, I'm not trying to to make it out like awfully or anything. But when I think back to what I was kind of surrounded as, grow, like surrounded by growing up in terms of like people, and I think, well, no one was like racist or anything. And then you start to think about like, the amount of times I heard like, oh, political correctness gone mad, mm-hmm. and like all like them coming over and stealing our jobs and shit like that. And I'm like, I probably without realizing heard a lot of kind of you know slightly subtle racism and that's like probably like the worst kind of it. i know it's like you know there's no there's no sliding scale for this sort of thing but i think um uh, uh, when experts talk about it, say one of the worst parts is like just that insidious like racism light because mm-hmm. that's so much less overt that it's more acceptable and as a result it's more pervasive it's way more per- pervasive yeah and like it seeps into just everyday conversation yeah and i think i was the just... potential to cause more long-term damage yeah and it, it really does cause like a lot of um prejudices to occur and like luckily i didn't really take any of that to heart and grew up around enough people that you know weren't like that that I, I kind of saw the error of their ways, but it was just, I think I was watching a TV show where someone said something along those lines and it just kind of gave me that that trigger, that like flashback in my head. And I was like, this sounds a lot like going round to neighbors' gardens and hearing like the adults have conversations while we were playing and stuff. And it's just so casual in front of kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... Just, and that's Oof. the thing, like talk about the weather in the same breath. Mm-hmm. They'd be racist. And again, it's not sitting there going, I hate X race. It's just a lot of things that I shit can... It's those, those subtle little things. The, the not-so-subtle, subtle things. 
Yeah, well, it's, like, it's those... really not very subtle at all, but it's subtle enough that people get away with saying it, and, and people also don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was going to say like people also don't tend to get called out because they're not being explicitly problematic. And then when they get called out, they always do that classic thing of they get more annoyed that they're being called out than upset that they're upset uh, than annoyed that they've upset somebody through their language. Always, yeah, it be- becomes that defense mechanism of, oh, why would you upset me? It's like, well, I'm having a go at you because you've said something upsetting. And then they turn it around on themselves because, Lucas, are you telling me there are people other than myself in this world? <laughs> what do you mean there are other people I'm upset? It's the Michael Scott thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like a hate crime was committed. No, it wasn't. Well, it was a crime and I hated it. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I'll tell you one thing I've done. I, you know, to, I mentioned like the Michael Scott thing. I have uh, one of the shows that I have on the background on, on loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have like stuff like The Office and old sitcoms as well. Cause they're just very good background filler noise. And The Office started over again just in my loop of things. Mm-hmm. And just, you forget how fucking racist that show was in its early seasons. Like Presumably Scott, because it was based off the British office to start yes, with. Yes, which, and like just, and no, not even in its early, in any early season, because I was watching you know, like the episode when Michael leaves. Well, that's like season five or something, isn't it? Or six. Yeah, it's one of the later seasons yeah. where Michael leaves, and um, they have like this whole send off episode where it's like this really emotional tribute to the character of Michael Scott and Steve Carell, the actor. Mm-hmm. And one of the very last, and they have like that last office meeting. Like, you know, the show hinges on these meetings where there's all these character interactions and banter and stuff. And it's like him really like wistfully thinking back to like, you know, oh, I love having these meetings with my staff. We're never going to get to do one again because the plot the plot thread of the episode is that he's leaving, but people don't know that he's leaving that day. Mm-hmm. So for him, that's the last meeting he's ever going to do. And he's really emotional about it. And the last thing he does before he goes, the last thing the character does in the show is go, and you know, we can't not... Um, uh, and our uh, meeting without a, a visit from a very special guest, Ping, which is his racist Chinese caricature character. And he mm-hmm. comes in and just does this horrible racist Chinese impression. And everyone in the office is just like, oh, Michael, we're going to miss you when you're racist. <laughs> this is like seven seasons in, mm-hmm. and this is the send off to the character. And I guess it's, one of those things where they probably intended it to show that Michael Scott is still kind of like very problematic, but then but they, it's never the, it's uh, never referred to after that. They they never, never sit there out. when they're reminiscing about Michael going, oh, remember the days where he was horrible racist towards us? It's like, no, oh, Michael was so fun and lovable. I miss Michael. I also think that entire episode is framed as like, you know, a goodbye to the character. Mm-hmm. And one of the last things he does is be racist. And it's laughed off by every member of the office of like, oh, Michael, what a card you are. Mm-hmm. We're going to miss you and all this stuff. And it's like, what? And then you contrast that to the first season where um, Kelly slaps him for being racist to her. Which shows that he's not had any character growth whatsoever because he still thinks it's funny. He still thinks it's funny, but apparently... The office have all just melded around him and decided yeah. it's funny too. Yeah, they've long since stopped calling him out because it's not worth it. And because That's it's just... just one of those things of Michael Scott in the first season was not a likable character, and therefore and they, they had him to a little bit. 
they had to change him enough to make him likable and people's reactions around him, but keep him, you know, ostensibly the same guy. That was just one of those things. Because I didn't remember it at all. And you're like, you know, when you're watching yeah. an old show and just something, you said there, like, you'll, you'll hear something that just triggers that thing in your brain. You're like, oh shit, I never noticed that. And just, oh, the last thing this character does is be racist mm-hmm. in the episode that's a tribute to them. And no one in the office calls them out on it. In fact, they all laugh and find it funny. And they yeah. see it as like, you know, this character, this heartwarming moment. Oh, dear. I think, like, it's one of those that there's very few sitcoms where I assume that they're intending for it to be a breakdown of, like, an awful character. Well, those characters, they never really get examined. And even in the episodes where they do, because the nature of a sitcom means that the status quo has to be maintained. Mm-hmm. So characters can't really ever change. The only way they can change is to get more and more flanderized, which is the term used to describe sitcom characters when they just become basically just stereotypes of themselves as seasons go on because they become more and more defined by individual character traits instead of any sort of um, depth. And that's kind of just writing 101, isn't it? You can't really find examples where that doesn't happen. It's very rare because... Characters rarely get more nuanced because... They have to keep having bigger and more, like more and more adventures, and the more and more mm-hmm. things that happen to them, the more ridiculous and outlandish the idea of them being a regular person becomes. Yep, and it it's weird when someone points out to you, and when you break it down, it is a, a silly trope, but at the same time, it's a trope that works very well. Yes. So it's kind of bad writing and good writing at the same time because it gives people exactly what they want, but the moment you think about it, it does kind of fall apart a bit. Yeah, and I'd, that was one of those moments just like, you know, because it was on in the background, and mm-hmm. I just heard that. I heard him doing the impression. I'm like, what fucking season is this? It's, oh, this, this is, is what is meant to be one of the, the good seasons where Michael's a nice yeah. guy. This is supposed to be as well. Like, this is one of the most popular sitcoms on the television. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking to myself, I remember a year or so ago when there was all that stuff about... Why is it that every sitcom had like a season, uh, an episode where characters wore blackface or yellowface? Yeah. Do you remember that? And it's like the one that I distinctly got was like 30 Rock, where it had like three separate instances of characters having yellow or blackface. God. And they asked Tina Fey about it, and she's like, I don't want to talk about it. And it's like, well, you wrote the episode. Why did you think it was funny? It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it. And the weird thing is just how quickly um, kind of the world changes around that because it's not as if those TV shows were being called out at the time, really. No, no. And you fast forward 10 years later, and it's like, I can't believe they would have done that. We saw that they rarely get called out because one of the reasons I watched The Office is because um, I think that The Office subreddit is one of the ones that keeps popping up in top on Reddit. Of course, so It's one of those yeah. things that it's constantly been in my peripherals. So, oh, well, this is a popular that, um, topic of conversation. Like the Mifflin subreddit is really That's popular, one, yeah. yeah. And I really like looking at conversations around media. And I, it took me, I want to say, like three, four months before I realized that Reddit is not the place to do that because every time anyone ever tries to go in there and have a conversation about the characters, like, for example, I've seen multiple posts on that Dunder Mifflin subreddit, which I do follow mm-hmm. because I, I like the show and I like discussing the show, like, you know, we're doing now. Mm-hmm. You can like something and still criticize it, I should point out. Yeah, wondering, yeah. You just criticize it. Why do you, like, you can criticize something you like. That's why I like it. I want it to be better. And I'm, I'm, you know, criticizing it, and I still watch it, same as Carl, just as one of those shows that I just throw in the background every six months or whatever when it comes back yeah. around to those, like, ten sitcoms that I watch on Looper all done. 
Yeah, and it's good as well to like watch something and be aware of the problematic elements and why they're problematic. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's an exercise in teaching myself to be more rounded, um, uh, just accepting person. And just every now and again, they'll have a post that's like, oh, I think this character is bad. And all you'll get is every discussion gets shut down by people posting quotes from the show because they don't want to examine why the show they're watching is bad. Mm. And I think the one is always that line from Michael of I hate the I hate the way that you are or something like that. And it's like, well, I'm trying to have a nuanced discussion about this show that we all apparently fucking love. Mm-hmm. But I guess you don't want to do that because you just want to quote memes from it. And I think whenever those subreddits like that one get big enough that it it just yeah it becomes noise of people not wanting to have an actual discussion. They just want to say, remember this from the show. It's like, yes, we all watched it multiple times. We are aware of this moment. Mm-hmm. Or like when they have discussions about are these characters bad people, which I think is a really fun conversation to have. If not, maybe not fun is the wrong word, but like interesting to discuss. Like, and I know sitcoms are often hyper elevated versions of our own reality, but they're still ostensibly normal people just in extraordinary circumstances they're being portrayed as normal people and when you break down a sitcom that's gone on long enough you can always find examples of everybody being awful people at times Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of things that just get swept under the rug that would not be normally acceptable and Mm -hmm. a great example of that is watching cop shows even from like very recently uh that's there's something that's been examined of the idea of copaganda which is uh, a very good word i feel it's a very good portmanteau of cop and propaganda where Things that are 100% illegal and against people's constitutional rights are so often portrayed in police procedurals as the right quote-unquote thing to do. Like when a person asks for a lawyer, I can't think of any cop show where that's not framed as they're definitely guilty. Mm. Why are you asking for a lawyer if you're innocent? It's like, because it's my right to have a lawyer present when I'm talking to the police. And realistically, you are stupid to speak to the police in any way shape or form without a lawyer just to try and protect yourself because of how many times people are you know wrongly accused and things like that it's just it's sensible and then in the same vein you have like sitcoms and stuff where they portray relationships maybe not realistic relationships but when you're you know viewing media that's really the only relationship you're going to see so most people grow up and they see one real relationship and it's a relationship between their parents and then they see 50 relationships on tv and in media Oh, I so can't... what's really informing their perception of what relationships are? It's the media. I can't really tell you how warped my perception of dating was from just watching Friends a lot as a kid yeah, before I like... started dating properly. Yeah, you see how it's portrayed in that. It's like, uh, and I think a quote that sums it up is just like that old tweet, that old amazing viral tweet, I should say. I've seen Batman's parents get killed more times than I've seen my own parents kiss. <laughs> She's, you know, It's obviously a joke, but it's that summation of like you see more like you've seen fictional parents get killed more than you've seen your own parents be intimate of course that's going to warp your perception of what a relationship is mm-hmm. in some minor way because we're all influenced by the media we consume whether we like it or not yeah and like in regards to the office um like watching that show and just seeing like some of the little subtle things that are in like just shown has been these are okay these mm-hmm. things are okay like um the character of andy like, Joe, when he first arrives at like, the Dunder Mifflin officers, yes. remember what happens there? Do you mean the bit where they drive him insane? Yes. And they have that moment where Jim tries to prank him, which is a continuation from when he's pranking him in the other office, and he mm-hmm. gets really mad. Like, he doesn't react the way Dwight does because he's ostensibly acting like a reasonable person. 
mm. which is to get an, not a reasonable, it says about to like a, an, a person who's not Dwight. I yeah. I say normal, but. Because it, a regular person would get annoyed, but obviously Andy gets like extremely annoyed and super angry, which is way too far to get for like somebody putting, you know, a stapler in jelly. Yeah. And it's like, he goes from naught to 60 so quickly, but the more he gets pranked, the more um, uh, like reasonable his reaction becomes because he's like, he's basically being victimized at the office. He's yeah, being bullied uh, by a coworker. At that point, it is essentially bullying. And like the fact that when Jim sees Andy getting super frustrated and like very angry, which he already knows he does because mm-hmm. Jim gets shocked at how angry Andy got the first prank he pulled on him. He still does it. He still continues to do it. He doubles down. And then when Andy has a literal mental breakdown and punches a hand through the wall, they're like, oh, crazy Andy. Yeah, and they have a moment where it's him and Pam after the fact. It's just one of those little character-revealing moments of uh, where they're mocking his reaction of like, oh, did you see him? He went crazy. And like, oh, I thought he was going to like, you know, cry. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is bullying. This is how like bullies on the playground act of like, with children, but they're thirty-year-olds, mm-hmm. and then the the other like the little moment that got me, which I didn't notice on a first rewatch, was uh, on my first watch was when Andy comes back when he says, "I've you know I've been to anger management, I've really made some choices mm-hmm. that I think are going to help me be a better person, a better co-worker," and he says, "I'm Drew now. My name is Andrew. I'm not Andy. I'm Drew. I'm going to change like this is a signifier of my new fresh approach." And he walks in. And, he, and Jim says, hey, uh, hey, Andy. It's like, no, it's Drew now. Mm-hmm. And Jim just says, I'm not calling you that. And keep in mind, Jim asks people to call him Jim and his name is James. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not calling you that. Just refuses to acknowledge Andy in the way that he wants to be referred to in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then he's portrayed as being like, oh, that's classic Jim. Is that, oh, he's been an asshole. His yeah. co-worker has made a very reasonable request. Please call me by the name I'm asking you to call me. Especially after the fact that it's, yeah, he's gone to therapy and he's like, look, I'm trying to be a different person. I'm trying to, you know, make that decision in my life to act like a different person, act like a new person. And that change in my name is a signifier of that and trying to improve myself. And Jim just laughs at him. He's like, no. Yeah. Laughs at his, his attempts to improve himself. And that's another one of those things that you see is like a, a wider trend. That's mm-hmm. in sitcoms. That's really toxic if you think about it. It's like going to therapy <laughs> is a bad thing. Because can you think of a single sitcom where someone going to therapy is not something that is immediately portrayed as bad and like you're crazy? It's, why would you need to go to therapy? You're not crazy. It's like, because not you don't go to therapy if you're just crazy. Sometimes you just need someone to help you sort through emotions that you're unable to deal with on your own because you lack the emotional capacity to do so. I think there are shows that I've watched where it has been portrayed positively, but like they're generally, you know, shows that have been out in the last few years and I can't put my finger on which, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, the trope is it's really bad and really unhealthy if you've gone to therapy because you've, are a crazy person. 
And they make fun of the person for being crazy for going to therapy, which adds to the stigma. And again, someone out there is like, well, you're reading too much into that. This is the media people consume. It It forms the way people think. And if every piece of media they're consuming saying like going to therapy is a stigma, people don't want to go to therapy. People who arguably should probably go to therapy or at least speak to someone who can help them verbalize issues that they're having. You know, I've been to forms of therapy in the past and I would definitely say that like most people should go to therapy like it's portrayed as this thing that you should only be on the extreme end of the spectrum to go to therapy but you you should yeah whether it's speak to like a professional therapist or just speaking to people about your emotions like being open is a strong thing to do not a weak Mm -hmm. thing to do and therapy helps a lot of people and it should never be portrayed as like such a horrible thing to go through but then, like, almost every piece of it, like, it's treated literally as a joke. Like, in the office, mm-hmm. when Andy goes in, it's like, they laugh at him for saying he tried to make progress. And as well, like, Andy doesn't even see it as a positive thing. He's like, no, I'm going to play this as a game and get out as quickly as possible. Yeah, he doesn't actually see his reaction as anything that mm-hmm. was unacceptable. He only says what he thinks people want him to say, which is a huge character flaw. Yeah. Which never gets addressed, and in fact, it gets worse as seasons go on as he becomes flanderized. Yeah. Is there anything like that from shows that you've noticed, like, you know, on rewatches of stuff of like stuff that is portrayed as being like bad or like wrong, which is just not at all how it should be? Um, I've got another example if you want time to think. Well, I was going to say the other way around of like, it really frustrates me watching um, How I Met Your Mother of like, there's so many really horrible, awful things that all of the main characters do that are portrayed as really positive movements or really romantic so it's fine and it's like you know for example the entire relationship of um, Barney and Robin is ultimately shown as not working but they spend what like a season and a half of them being together and then getting engaged and married where it's all like ridiculous lies and pranks and just a series of ridiculous events where all of it is signs of a horrible, toxic relationship, but because, oh, it was romantic, it was all great and fine. And that show is just full from, you know, moment one to the end of just things that are really creepy, toxic, and awful behavior that are portrayed as romantic, so it's okay. I'm not too familiar with the show, so do you have any like specific examples that stick in mind? The only one I'm aware of is something a friend of mine mentioned, which is like, is it The Naked Man? Mm-hmm. which is like on a date get naked and if when the person leaves the room and if they come back in you have like a 50 percent chance of it working like two out of three times it works yeah and it's like yeah just commit like sexual assault or sexual harassment on this person mm-hmm. and like oh see like look at my penis without them uh, their explicit consent mm-hmm. and um one and it's portrayed is as like-, like that's in a sitcom that aired like what prime time and be treated Prime as a time, joke, yeah. and, and like, that's teaching people. And yeah, just you know, just show people your penis. Well, one of the biggest plot points in the entire thing is like they spend a long time, you know, will they or won't they, with Barney and Robin, and mm-hmm. um, Barney plans out a fake relationship with a colleague of Robin's who she okay. really doesn't like and is very jealous of. Um, he actively knows this. He pretends to be in a relationship with her. He pretends to be proposing to um, this colleague 
in the spot that Robin wants to be proposed to so that he can like manipulate Robin into finding out all of this mm-hmm. and then she will get angry go to confront him and then he'll be in the perfect spot to randomly propose to her while they're not in a relationship so just I'm going to emotionally gaslight this person completely and utterly just manipulate them and lie to them all the way to getting you know from I hate you to we're engaged in a matter of an evening and then also later in the season it's like one of the things he has is like you know the playbook with all his plays and part of the um because obviously kind of, Lucas we all know women can be tricked into sex exactly right? exactly just women aren't creatures with their own thoughts <laughs> and independence like they can of course be tricked into having sex with you easily if you make the right play. easily yeah yes and there's hundreds of okay. plays that Barney has and that's, that will and all that's that thing again, perfectly what an awful what an awful thing to teach people yeah, it but is. It's an awful thing to teach men. It's an even worse thing to teach women because I saw something the other day that summed this up. Of like, Joe, those whole all those posts about I'm not like other girls, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm not like other girls because all other girls they want to talk about makeup and boys, and I read books. And I saw yeah. a great breakdown of that of like almost every woman thinks that at some point, and that's actually so depressing because it means that um, media has done such a convincing job of portraying women as completely without any agency or independence that when girls first start to realize they have a personality and interest outside of what media portrays, they think they're unique and special. Mm -hmm. And that hit me like a fucking ton of bricks because I was like, I never thought of it like that. And that's so fucking sad Mm -hmm. because you always see those, don't you? But I'm not like other girls. And it's always just like some regular interest. And it's something we make fun of. Yeah, it's seen but, as like a cringy thing of like, oh, well, look, this girl thinks that she's because special because she reads she, books. She likes books or video games or TV shows or whatever that she's different from other women. It's like... And then go um, look at media that portrays women. It's like, do you ever see any woman with these interests in any popular piece of media that is enjoyed by a mass? And he's like, you don't. Or so, you do, and have- they're seen as like the weird nerdy girl that no one wants to be friends with. Yeah. Something along those lines. And that really hit me when I saw it. I went, that's that's fucking on. That's to the bone, is mm-hmm. that? Like that is like laser guided, just precision, right for the heart <laughs> of that issue. Um, and that fucking got me. But yeah, uh, like going back to so the playbook. Yeah. Um, yes. He gets rid of the playbook because he knows how much Robin hates it. As I wonder well. why a woman would hate that. Yeah, and I'm guessing that's a pot point as well. Of like, he's not sure why she hates it. He's no, like, no, he's very actively aware of why she would hate it, and he's like, he signifies the end of like his playboy career, if you will, like by okay. getting rid of the playbook. But when they are together, it turns out, oh no, he got rid of the fake version of it, and he's kept it the entire time. So he lied. So not only did he lie his like through his teeth to get engaged he also didn't get rid of like the one big signifier of something that she hated and you know also like you know is basically a representation of him wanting to stay single and is an indicative of a horribly misogynistic mindset Mm -hmm. so i wonder why his wife hates that and it's like this whole time it's like oh yeah like look how romantic barney's been and blah 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 it's like well, A, he lied his way into a marriage, and B, he didn't even lie correctly. Like, he lied about lying. And yeah, just that, that show 
is is full of things that when I rewatch it, it's like, oh my god, like these are these are not bad things. These are awful. Like, yeah, that playbooks. I wasn't aware of that concept. I'd only heard of like a few things through the great band like, pop culture osmosis. Mm-hmm. Like that's bordering on those like men's rights pickup artists who were like trick women into sleeping with. It's literally that's that. his entire character for the first it's... like six seasons of the show, pretty much. And he's and isn't he portrayed as like the cool suave guy? Yeah. And he's like yeah. all on his all the t shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like be more like Barney Stinson. He's, he's the cool guy. Yeah. Is is the cool guy because he tricks women who are easily tricked because like you know women aren't gonna like figure this shit out. Yeah, it's just very interesting of like you know, uh, when I first watched the show, I really liked it and I think mm. there's still like enjoyable aspects to it. Don't get me wrong, but just when you you break down how like toxic the characters are, when I'm looking back and I'm like, oof, and it's just it's sad as well because it's just the. F- fuck man like with writers because one of the oldest female characters like one of the most like well fondly remembered female characters in fiction is Irene Adler from the Sherlock Holmes stories and do you know the stuff about Sherlock Holmes stories about like what Irene Adler does um not overly like the most I know about Sherlock probably comes from like the, you know the BBC interpretation with Bendit that- Cumberbatch uh, well, she is the one who gets one over on Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. one of the few characters to ever get one over on Sherlock Holmes. And it's because he assumes that she, as a woman, is not very smart. And she plays into that and tricks him. So she's like an early example of like a femme fatale sort right, of character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of like the oldest characters in fucking canon. And like we're still reliant on that thing of like a hundred years later. Yeah. Of like women can be so easily tricked. They have no personality or sense of um, uh, uh, just personality. Oh, they have no personality or sense of just um, self. Yeah, and it, it's obviously playbook, man. I think that's, like the more so bad. the more that people are are talking about it in modern day, like I think we are seeing a lot of bad tropes get written out. Now, if it, yeah, I find it funny though, because like shows like I think they're really great to watch. So one of the reasons I like rewatching these shows is like you know, it's, it's indicative of the fact I've grown as a person when I can mm-hmm. notice these yeah. things and single them out. I think to myself, wow, that's not something I would have noticed like a couple of years ago when I was younger. This mm-hmm. is good. This shows I've grown as a person. I've become more aware of these issues and more just empathetic of other people. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's always about admitting to yourself that you can continue to learn and grow and that mm-hmm. we're never done like you know kind of trying to learn more about other people's um like situations and trying to to just be better people really we're never done yeah. with that that's like an amazing one that and the the one I was gonna single out is because it's something I noticed like rewatching some like friends and all these other sitcoms is there's always an episode where they're going to cook Christmas dinner and someone wants vegetarian food. Like this uh, is one of those tropes yeah. I've noticed. It's such a specific trope. It's in almost every single um, American sitcom. It's the episode where someone tries to cook a vegetarian meal and it's mm-hmm. shit. That's always... The, the joke is always it's terrible because it's vegetarian. Or maybe in more recent ones, it's because it was vegan. Vegan. It's always like, oh look, I'm cooking tofu. Ooh, tofu's awful. And like you'll see the character throw like usually the male main character have a fucking strop. Like a child, because they're not getting meat. And I will say, 
that when people cook like slimy tofu, I am not a fan. But you can make tofu nice, like crispy all, yeah, and that's crunchy. The thing. And... Almost, almost everyone who complains about tofu not being very nice have not either. They've either cooked it incorrectly or not eaten it cooked correctly. Because mm-hmm. you're supposed to like, if anyone doesn't know, you squeeze tofu before you cook it. It's or like, um, yeah, you, you know, make sure that it's not as like sweaty and like, you know, put it in like cloth or whatever. Yeah, you're supposed to drain it. It's kept in the water to keep it like um, moist, the flavor. But people just chuck it into a pan as it is. And it's like, no, you're supposed to drain it in the water because it's supposed to soak up the flavor of whatever you're cooking it in. And anyway, like... You know, like meat yeah. does. That aside, it's just one of those weird things of like, yeah, oh man, I can't believe that this person would want vegetarian option. It must be horrible. It's, and it's always portrayed as a bad nice. thing. Or yeah. the other one is people caring about the environment. This is one that I find amazing. So I've been rewatching Only Fools and Horses in the background. And one of the plot points that's kind of like written out in later seasons is that one of the characters, Rodney, is young and idealistic. And one of the things that idealistic about is like, you know, protecting the rainforest and like, you know, just the report by like nuclear weaponry and things like that. And they're very like, you know, politically liberal. Mm. And every single time they go on like a, a diatribe about, have you any idea? how much of the rainforest gets cut down every day and then someone just tell them to shut up and it's like uproarious laughter. It's like, no, why is this being treated as like a punchline of someone caring? That's a weird one because I, ha- I don't really watch anything as old as like Only Fools and Horses anymore. But it's, it's a really specific thing though. You'll know, It's one of those things where you'll notice it a lot in media when it's presented of like the person who cares about the environment is always like just a hippie who's wrong or they get mm. their comeuppance in some way. And it's like, the lesson there is caring is bad. Yeah. And I can't think of any more specific examples, but I know it's something you see a lot. So I want to say it happens in like um, uh, Friends at some point. Yeah, Probably. Like one of them start like because Joker's Phoebe's the character where she's like, oh, um, I want to recycle and don't buy stuff from like big capitalist stores. I want to support local businesses, and she's always treated like kooky and crazy because mm-hmm. she's trying to be like you know self sufficient and not as reliant on like plastics and stuff. And she likes to recycle. That's like another one that always gets made fun of, like people trying to recycle. And then they kind of make her slowly a less abrasive and more just normal capitalist person. It's like, and okay. there are great breakdowns of stuff like that of. Um, uh, Phoebe's character is so sad to watch because she starts as like this free spirit mm-hmm. who's very opinionated but strong-willed and um, set in her convictions and has like very liberal stance on everything. Like, because she's probably the most liberal character on that show, right? Yeah, in regards yeah, yeah. to um, uh, like her, her policies and just like you know approach to life and love in general. Mm-hmm. Like, they have a great scene later in one of the episodes where um, her and Rachel, I think it is, uh, they think they found the wallet of somebody. Oh, and they think yeah. uh, they find someone, and they think it belongs to this handsome young man. And it turns out that guy was someone's assistant, and the person who turns up to collect the wallet is this older gentleman. Mm-hmm. And Rachel's like, "Oh, I don't want to date that guy." And Phoebe and, his, and the guy's like, "So which one of you young ladies do I owe a drink to for finding this?" And Phoebe's like, "Yeah, I'll go out with this guy. He looks really charming and nice." Mm-hmm. And just little things like that are like she's not judging someone by their appearances. She just sees a nice man. And she's like, I'll go spend some time with this nice man. He's been a gentleman. I'll, I respect that. And this portrays like a joke that she wants to give this guy a chance because he's just a nice man who wants to say thank you for her finding his wallet. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I, I think Phoebe still stays like a relatively strong 
character in terms of like mm. she's she's very stuck in her ways and or not stuck in her ways she's you know she knows what she wants and will yeah. demand what she wants like from mike and stuff in a, their relationship and puts her foot down and stands up for herself but yeah there's a, a couple of episodes where she's like oh man i'm i'm like you know not as as like the person that used to be and I'm not as much as like a free spirit, as you say. And then she's like, ah, fuck it. I don't care. Yeah. Mike's got money. Well, like, well, they have an episode where she gets um, uh, a fur coat. Like she, in someone's, someone dies and wills her a, a fur coat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, she's wearing the fur coat and she gets it and she's like, I don't like it. Because, you know, an animal died to make it. And they have like the character of Rachel. Be like, well, you can't get rid of this coat. Mm-hmm. Why would you get rid of this coat? This coat's really nice. It's like the idea of like a character defending fur. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like Phoebe she's in that episode, fashion, she's, so that's fine. Yeah, but she's framed as being in the wrong for it. Like mm-hmm. everyone else in the episode, they tolerate her, but you can tell they're like, well, we don't care either way. Yeah. And she eventually like gets rid of the coat because she's like a squirrel and feels bad about it. But the arc of that episode is them trying to convince, like, is one of the other characters trying to convince her that no fur's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Like skinning animals alive, or not skin alive, but you know, skinning animals for their fur when we don't really need to. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, not alive. On, also, not put. Yeah, like, come on, feet. Well, they are tre- like horribly. At, at the end of the day, though, you know, it's one of those of I can understand why the character Rachel, who is you know Very trying to become conscious. a fashion designer, would would be of that stance. But when it's the thing of like the episode treats like the way it is framed is that Phoebe is the weirdo, being, yeah, yeah, she's been the weirdo for being upset by this. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like, we don't get why you're upset. It's like because I don't like the idea of animals being killed. But only weirdo hippies care about animal rights. Carl. Exactly. And that's and it's such a common trope, and it's something that I implore people to like look out for when they're consuming their media because it's probably not going to be something you're going to see much now. Mm-hmm. given that we know like, oh the rainforest burning that was a bad thing it was that was a really bad thing we probably shouldn't have done that and it's it's weird as well like because obviously people pick apart friends a lot specifically and they're like oh my god like they made a gay joke it's like yeah but okay that that was also inappropriate and was more appropriate at the time and unfortunately that was the case but you could also go a little bit deeper than that and have a look into characters like Phoebe and, and those episodes of like, why are they portraying her as such like an awful person for just wanting to not have a fur coat? Yeah. Like why is she see like portrayed by the show's visual language as being in the wrong for insisting that wearing fur is wrong? Mm-hmm. And it's like and then you think about, okay, so what values are the show trying to instill? Because all shows have a message, whether they mean it or not. All media has a message, whether intentional. And yep. the message there is like, no, don't go against the status quo. I think a lot of that show is really. Hmm. It's like uh, watching old Simpsons and just seeing like, and then you watch comments like modern Simpsons and you see like stuff that they was, it was considered like revolutionary, very progressive for just showing a dysfunctional family, a family who acts mm-hmm. yeah. like a regular family would. It's weird to say now that like it, seems so normal to have a family like the Simpsons on TV, but mm-hmm. that was pushing the boundaries and very unconventional, yeah. Yeah, just like, you know, a, a poor family who struggled and had everyday relatable struggles. It's one and thing that think... I've been appreciating okay. about um, Malcolm in the Middle as well. Like, for mm, live sitcoms, it, yeah. was, 
it was one of the you know more groundbreaking ones to again show that kind of family dynamic and i was just watching um an episode the other day where oh some of the house falls on hal and he is crying with a broken leg or whatever in the the kitchen to his like three kids going like I'm sorry I failed you as a father. I should be providing better because I can't afford to go to the hospital. None of us can afford to go to the hospital without health insurance. And like, they haven't got insurance. He's He then goes to like the kid of a shit doctor that the kids go to to like mm-hmm. get the, the you know, bones fixed bones. and shit because they can't afford health insurance. Man, like, just, it's so... Is I was about to say refreshing, but it's also not nice to watch. Yeah, when it's like this man just gives a shit about his family and can't afford health insurance, and is really fucking sorry that he can't go to the hospital and he yeah, can't provide like, better for his family. The the only real thing I noticed because I did a rewatch of all of Malcolm Middle when it on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. yeah. um, that has it's not aged poorly. I don't think it ever was. It was ever a good thing when the show was airing, but it was like just not something people were aware of. It is um, just the insinuation that the way they punish their children is the only way they can deal with them because they have Lois comes up with many creative punishments for her children some of which border on actual abuse Mm, yeah like when she's like making I think one episode like a really early episode where they make them tar the roof without safety equipment and stuff like that and there's one episode where Reese um, goes to a cooking class have you seen mm-hmm. this one? Is this many recent rewatchers? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like we're we're in one of the later seasons now. So, and uh, what happens when Reese goes to his cooking class? Well, he finds an absolute love for cooking, and it's like becomes his inspiration. Yeah, it turns out that Reese has just a, a innate aptitude for cooking. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the show, he's portrayed as being like basically equivalent to a world class chef. He is like a virtuoso in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. And the end of that episode is where that Reese does something silly, and to punish him, they say no access to the kitchen, and he gets really upset. Mm-hmm. And the conversation that happens at the end that really it's one of these things I like, never noticed as a kid, but it stuck with me as an adult on a rewatch is where Lois and Hal say, "Do you know what this means? We can hurt him." Yeah, we actually we have now figured out a way to hurt our child when we punish them. Because other punishments, they'd not bothered. This one, this causes them to be actually upset. Yeah, it's not just stand with your head against a wall in the corner. It's like actual causing him emotional harm. And they're and they're really excited about the idea now that they can hurt, and that hurt is the word they use, their child for doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's a sitcom, and like no one really gets hurt, and they do love it. But like. The idea that the parents are getting super hype, like, oh man, we can cause our child emotional distress. This is sick. And I get that from a like, you know, a parent's perspective, it's not that they want to cause them emotional trauma. It's just we have something we have a punishment that he cares about, so that might act as a, a deterrent mm-hmm. because we every other punishment we found, he doesn't care. So when that's the consequence of his actions he, he he doesn't have to think about it. He doesn't care about those consequences. Even though none of those things work and every single punishment that is not positive reinforcement does not work on children in the long run. Like every single child psychologist will tell you that is not the way to raise a child. All you do is teach a child to fear you, which is very mm-hmm. evident in the show because the three children are terrified of their mother. And even Hal is to an extent. 
Yeah, because she's like um, uh, so aggressive in like you know uh, meeting out punishment to her children. Mm-hmm. And the thing, like obviously, Hal is more scared of disappointing Lois. Mm-hmm. than making again, her angry but which is not a great relationship to be in where you are terrified or upset in your spot and you can't be honest with them because there are many episodes where Hal does not want to tell Lois the truth because he's scared of how she'll react and a lot of that is just again because Sick the character of Hal always wants to be better than what he is and always wants mm-hmm. to be um, giving him and his family more than he can there are some like great moments in that show. But, like, again, just, I love the show map in the middle, but those are little problematic elements that you notice on rewatch as an adult, and you're like, just when they're making jokes about how Lois is like, oh, I'm, I'm like, you know, there's a couple months of punishment left. I'm gonna get real creative with you. It's like a mother should not be getting excited about the idea of how she's going to emotionally torture her children. Yeah, because there's that moment where. Um... Francis's wife Piama finally like bonds with Lois because they basically like um I think it's like Francis's birthday and they go on like a motorcycle trip him and Hal mm-hmm. and they're both over the day bonding over how much they can hold it over their head and punish them for months and like destroy yeah. all their gifts and shit like how to manipulate their husbands into doing what they want and it's like Lois is giving her a crash course in how to be this awful horrible manipulative wife and like browbeat your husband into submission and make them out mm-hmm. the way you want and then when like Piam's like no Francis is a free spirit I'd never want to crush his interest like no that's not the way you do it because otherwise you're gonna have to deal with all this like what my husband being passionate about something that'd be awful and then by the end of the episode they're sitting there having like a glass of wine or whatever together just enjoying and relishing the idea that they're gonna come home to their punishment soon yeah and that's again not really reflective of a emotionally positive like environment no not particularly no no and let's say i love the show but watching stuff like it's like oh and again these are like just like just their subtle things imparted in media that sink in yeah maybe like maybe like you know one tv show is not going to change the way someone thinks but when you watch a dozen tv shows mm-hmm. during your formative years because they called you formative years for a good reason it's like you know it's where your personality is formed and who you are as a person becomes defined mm-hmm. when that's the only real exposure you have to family dynamics and relationships besides the ones in your immediate vicinity some bad stuff can you know seep in it can yeah for sure and just it's weird going back and again like saying as I said earlier, like noticing that, oh yeah, friends did have a big impact on the way that I saw what dating life was before yeah, I really but... had a, a proper idea of what it was like as an adult. Well, I think we talked about it before, didn't we? Of um, a lot of shows portray their loser characters, quote unquote, um, as like the ones who are unlucky in love are far more successful at relationships than virtually every normal person is. Mm-hmm. Like a character like. Chandler, who's constantly bemoaning that he can't get a date and that he's unlucky in love and stuff like that over the course of the, the 10 years this like the show is set, dates like two dozen women. Yeah, and that's in the first half of the show because the second half of the show he's in a marriage with Monica. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, he's almost always either, you know, in a relationship or dating someone or looking into like a one-night stand with somebody and he's seen as the loser that can't get any women in the in the group. Yeah. And you, you and see same that with Ross. Like... like Ross and Chandler are meant to be 
really bad at you know quote 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 getting women compared to how joey is and they're both constantly in relationships with very attractive people throughout the entire show oh yeah and i think what like friends has its own thing in regards to that because if anyone's wondering like if anyone wants like proof that these shows and these bits of media can have like an actual tangible impact on the world the show friends is largely um, uh, credited with coining the term the friend zone mm-hmm. like the most toxic um uh, like term thrown around by the absolute worst examples of men yeah when it comes to their approach to um, uh, women because it's Joey tells Ross about being in the friend zone with Rachel and, and how like, much how bad it is. You need to strike now, essentially, while she's um, emotionally vulnerable. Yeah, because she's like just been broken up with. Yeah, it's like perfect and time to go on a perfect time on a because otherwise you'll be in the friend zone because you're friends with this woman, and there's no way you'll get in a relationship with her if you get to that point. And then the subtle indication there is that it's a bad thing to be in a close friendship with a woman when you could be sleeping with her. Well, I mean, really want. I, I don't think that's the exact situation there because Ross is very upfront about wanting to be with Rachel. Mm-hmm. But it still like, frames a bad thing of like, well, if you go over there and comfort her as a friend, she's only ever going to be a friend. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing to be friends with someone you care about. It's like, okay. yeah, she's crying. This is the perfect time to go and strike. <laughs> yeah. The joy favorite bit about that is like the show Friends like helped coin and popularize the term friend zone. Mm-hmm. And the every part of the show completely deconstructs that idea because how do all of them get into relationships? Yeah. By being friends first. I was gonna say Proving... Joey doesn't end up with someone, does he? No, no. but like but Chandler and Monica do. And which is like and then Ross and Rachel become friends and then and become an item as well. So like, mm-hmm. the very existence of the show deconstructs and disproves the idea that that is even a thing. Almost like human relationships are not that easily definable. and They're not a binary thing. And it also comes from Joey, who is portrayed as the stupid one of the group and yep. the one who's only good at dealing with one night stands. Mm-hmm. And then some men took that and used their, based their entire personality and approached relationships on it. Mm-hmm. I think that just sums up, like, there's probably a bunch of people who hear us talk about stuff like this. You're reading too much into it. It's like, no, that's proof right there that these shows have a tangible effect. That term was not around or a thing before Friends popularized it. Not notably, yeah. No, Um, Friends popularized it, and it's still something that's repeated to this day. There are women listening to this right now. popularly, yeah. Yep, there are women listening to this right now. We've had to deal with this. It's all thanks to Friends. That sucks, doesn't it? That's I imagine yeah. the lasting legacy of your creation being something like that. It's the um, the harassment of thousands of women. <laughs> what a legacy! Oh dear. And I I just thought we were going to talk about the fact that you know Breath of Wild was delayed today, and well, not spend like is... an hour deconstructing like <laughs> toxic sitcoms. That's fair enough. Well, what's because um, I didn't see I saw that there was news like it's twenty twenty three now. Uh, yeah, spring twenty twenty three, and it's like oh. Nintendo said that they were aiming for 2022 when they were like trying to develop the game and mentioned that last year. And I'm like, oh, so that means it's not coming out in 2022 then? Of course. And then everyone's like, I can't believe Nintendo delayed it. Wow, who would have seen that coming? A Zelda game getting delayed? Fucking hell, we've never seen that before. Never forget, Lucas, your favourite message that you saw of like, oh... During like the height of the pandemic, Nintendo's been kind of quiet about their <laughs> announcements recently. 
Can anyone think of a reason why? Over the past 18 months, Nintendo haven't done as much as usual. Hmm. Is there anything that could explain this? It's also that thing as well, like, every single time a shit game, or a game comes out and it's shit, or poorly received, people bandy around that Miyamoto quote, which apparently he never said, but he's credited with saying, uh, which is a bad game, or a, a delayed game is eventually good, but a bad ge- a rushed game is always bad. Or something like that. Something along those lines. and the, That quote always gets bandied about. But then when Zelda gets... Why are they delaying Zelda? Well, I saw that, that quote being banded around loads yesterday. But it's one of those things of... I mean, that's technically not even true anymore because of patches and updates and stuff. But mm-hmm. it still stands the test of time, I think, in public perception. Because think about games like Cyberpunk 2077 and... Um, Battlefield 2042 yeah. that came out was it the most recent never get one? A second, never get a second chance. Make a first impression. Exactly. Like you can polish those games all you want, but that like, that even taste. games that have managed to successfully pull it back. Um, you know, like for example, No Man's Sky or Rainbow Six Siege. There's still mm-hmm. that like taint around them that a lot of people will never get over and never come back to that yeah. game for. It's why I'm never gonna play Cyberpunk. I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I'll wait until it's on sale for like a tenner on Game Pass or something. And then the, speaking of Legend of Zelda, there is one hot take I thought you might want to delve into just before we head off because I saw one I think you're going to love. But can I take a quick bathroom break and we'll get into it and we'll close off? Yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, we'll be back in a sec. Far away, Lucas, are you ready for a searing nuclear level take? I mean, I guess so. Bring it to me, Carl. Let's see if, I, need, I want to see if I can get the exact thing. So... Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to find this. Okay. No, I'm not. Okay, so this was a... Do you know what I do my usual, my troll for hot takes? And I had a couple that I was going to mention this week, but I, I, we kind of got sidetracked. Well, there is one, since you mentioned Breath of the Wild, that I thought you might appreciate. And that is a hot take from Reset Era, which is just the best for hot takes. <laughs> like, I'm a member of that forum just for the hot takes. The they spiciest. are incredible. And the spiciest and shittiest of gaming hot takes. And the one that I saw... Uh, I'm going to try and paraphrase it here, is how far... Oh, is Breath of the Wild 2 too far in development to be influenced by Elden Ring? I mean, short answer, yes. (laughs) Well, Lucas, what do you think about that hot take there of like... Are they, is Breath of the Wild 2 going to take any hints from Elden Ring? And it's like, no, they're not, because it's a Nintendo game and they don't give a fuck. They don't. And also, where do you think Elden Ring took its fucking inspiration from? <laughs> exactly. Like, it's inspired by Breath of the Wild, not the other way around. No, but Lucas, because Elden Ring's the... Like, this is a great example of a concept I really like just called recency bias, which mm-hmm. is the most recent thing that you experience is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. In all regards. And this is one of like, well, Elden Ring came out. It's a big deal. I'm talking about it and thinking about it a lot. So clearly it's the most influential thing to everybody else. And I just saw that and went, Lucas is going to love this. Because you're just going to just go, for fuck's sake. It's... it's an open world game. But it's like the aspects of the open world game that like you can clearly see the, you know, inspiration of Breath of the Wild in the fact that it's an open world game that really doesn't want to tell you where to go or what to do and there's a lot of um just really well designed world elements that like mm-hmm. lead your eye and bring your attention to the way they want you to play the game and subtly guide you through and it's like that is extremely breath of the wild influenced and obviously there's 
a lot of um from software like flavor added to that it's not clearly just a, a breath of the wild ripoff or anything but the idea that oh well breath of the wild 2 is going to take so much from elden ring it's like what would it take do you know what my, as well, I love about that. The subtle indication there is is that Breath of the Wild needs to take inspiration from Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. It's like Breath of the Wild One was like one universally just one of the most best received games of all time. It's yep. consistently ranked amongst the best games ever in history. And it's like, but what do Nintendo need to do to follow it up? Do they need to take influence from Elden? It's like, no, just make the same game, but bigger, because it was fucking great the first time. <laughs> they know what they're doing, clearly. And they, they clearly have something up their sleeve, or think they do, because when they were announcing the delay, they, you know, minor, minor spoilers, but this is not, they didn't talk specifics. But, um, it was like an image or something, wasn't it? It was just like a, a two-second extra fo- gameplay footage. Like, it was the old footage of the game but they slipped in like two seconds extra of new footage but not even just talking about that like the wordage that they used of like oh not only will we be exploring the world like um in the sky like we showed off we also have lots of other like extra elements that you are completely unaware about so far Mm -hmm. so anuma's talking a hot game of like yeah you think you know what breath of the wild sequel is going to be you do not like, there is shit that we've got hidden up our sleeve that you have no clue about yet. And I and can't wait for that I, to happen. People are like, yeah. did they take influence from Elden Ring? Because Elden Ring has so much secret stuff in it. It's like, so did Breath of the Wild. Yeah. So do all open world get released good ones. And, um, you know, that's, that's the thing I love about Elden Ring. And I was talking to you about it the other day of, like, the open world exploration and, like, lack of direction is what I really enjoyed. And, getting later in the game now um i'm starting to enjoy it less because it's becoming more linear and more dungeon like as the game goes on mm-hmm. because it's it's gone from a focus of here's a lot of open world elements with an occasional dungeon to here's mostly like most of my time is being spent in the dungeons now mm-hmm. and that yeah. is starting to draw me out of the game a little bit because it's becoming more and more just like a regular dark souls game I was just curious how you'd respond to that searing hot take. I just, yeah. Uh, I mean, A, they haven't got the time to do that. Like, taking inspiration from a game takes years and you have to, you know, be taking those elements and those inspirations from day one, not from, like, year five in. But it's just also, like, again, what would they take from Elden Ring? What has it actually done new that's not already been... Uh, done in the first Breath of the Wild. Like, what actual innovations are there in the Elden Ring game? Because it's a very good game, very well constructed, a lot mm-hmm. of fun stuff in there. What's actually new? Is there anything in there that is innovative, in your opinion? Uh. Or is different? Like, because a lot of the stuff that people say is different from open world games was already present in other Souls games. Yeah. So specifically and... in regards to Elden Ring, what has it actually done new to shake up that genre of game? I think the the thing that it did was add a good open world and add like a, a quite a as i say breath of the wild esque world in terms of yep. both the design and like the secrets and the lack of direction involved but but that's not innovative that's stuff that already exists like what new thing is it yeah done? exactly like to me it was elden ring is the culmination of dark souls being inspired by Breath of the Wild, and I don't know what Breath of the Wild sequel 
would then take his inspiration from that. Yeah, like there's nothing new that it's done that could be drawn influence from. Again, like, great game just... and it's all done very well, but... Yeah, it's not us criticising it. You can criticise things that you like, remember? Mm-hmm. But there, there's no big new innovation in that game that I could think of that... Someone's they... going to rip off or try and copy off. And any any Dark Souls element that you could argue of, like, you know, the, the way that the messages work to help you get through the world or the way that the... Like invasions and stuff, were, like that's all from previous from software games yep. as well. It, so there's no innovation in that regards. It's just again a lot of good elements from open world games combined with a lot of good elements from the previous from software games, and there's nothing yep. wrong with that. It's an amazing game. Clearly, people are loving it. But yeah, I just I don't I physically can't think of a new innovation that the Breath of the Wild sequel could even take inspiration from. And even if you talk about stuff that it's not innovated, but is just um, polished to a mirror sheen, so mm-hmm. it's like non-verbal storytelling and just world building. Breath of the Wild already had that in spades. Yeah, exactly. There's so much like just world building and stuff like that. And it's not even something that's like, you know, unique to Elden Ring, because there are plenty of other open world games that also have little things like that. Yeah, and like you could argue, oh, but what if they did side quests a little bit better like they do in Elden Ring or A Witcher or the you know the New Horizon. The, the side quests in Elden Ring are done fucking terribly. And There's not a single side quest I've had where I've not looked up where it is. It's like the character will say, I'm off now. And then that's it. And it's like, well, where the fuck did they go? They'll say, I'm heading north now. And it's like, well, how do I know <laughs> how far north you're going? That's bad game design. But even if people enjoy that, it's like, you know, having a good side quest, whether you could argue the ones in Elden Ring are good or not, but... I think the NPC being on the map does help. Um, it does. So you can at least track them down. That's a really so good really old, really fast. Yeah. But like, well, I'm going now. Well, <laughs> bye. I need. It's you're like, the person who I can buy spells off of. Now I can't buy spells. The, the really, the bit that really got me was when you defeat is it like Radan, and you know, spoilers. I guess if you don't want to know what happens after that boss fight, um, just give people a second. It's like, mm-hmm. oh cool like you defeat radon and then it's like this giant meteor crashes down to to the the land because it he's his power was like stopping that from happening mm-hmm. and then the game is just like i guess it went off in that direction good luck and you're like in the bottom right of the map and it's like yeah it went somewhere up and yeah. i'm like okay and oh, the job, that, could, right. that really stuff like that has been done in other open world games. So it's not even that unique because I remember the Fallout games, they have a rare occurrence where a meteorite type thing will appear in your view mm. and you follow it and it leads to the UFO crash. Oh, uh, right, yeah, yeah. And I'd argue it's done better in that because it happens in full view while you're doing gameplay. So you can walk towards it, whereas in Elden Ring, it happens in a cutscene and you're pointed in a direction where you have to teleport out of the area that you're in so you don't even know the right direction to go in. Mm-hmm. Now, you get a rough idea, but yeah, yeah you're just kind of aimlessly in... wandering around for a while. You know roughly what direction it's in, but you don't have any visual indication while playing, which And you better. also have no clue like how far inland it travelled. Mm-hmm. But in Fallout, you get to just see. So it's not even something that's that unique. It's been done before, and I'd argue it's been done better. If, like, mm-hmm. not, maybe not as visually impressive, but to a player, it's a lot more clear what it is the game wants you to do in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in Elden Ring, it's just like this thing crashes. It's like, okay, go find it. So again, like something done, you know, to an arguable, um, you know, amount, but like it's not brand new. And I don't, I don't think 
there are many things that are like an actual brand new thing I've never seen in a game before. Yeah, it's just like Elden changing. Ring did a lot of things well. Oh, it's like, oh, it changes the map based on like, you know, how far in the story you've progressed. It's like, yeah, that's the thing as well. That's happened in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Like, it's happened in a lot of Zelda games. Like, you know, we're playing through um, uh, Ocarina of Time. Like, you're able to change the actual layout of the entire world based on spells and stuff like that that you could um, cast. Yeah, it's just like, well, going back and forward in time literally, like, unlocks new and different parts of the world for yeah. you and, like, gives you an entirely different landscape. And we're not saying that I know Elden Ring ripped these things off. We're just saying that these are tropes that have existed long before this game came about. So mm-hmm. if the new game, the Breath of the Wild 2, is going to take inspiration from anything, it's going to take inspiration. If it's all inspiration from Elden Ring, it's realistically taking inspiration from everything that came before it, just amalgamated into one good, cohesive um, piece of media. Yeah. Which shows that 100%. those people working in tandem can function well. But and it's really actual... funny to me to see, like... Of all teams in the world that you need to sit down and say, like, does this need team need to take inspiration to be innovative? No. I'd argue that the team that brought you Breath of the Wild probably don't need that. Just anyone working for Nintendo. Like, they're so fucking slow on the uptick to like, follow any trend for better and worse. Better and so worse, I, 100%. Like, they are so no. stuck in the past and the future at the same time. I hate how they refuse to like um, uh, innovate when or follow recent. Not even innovate, just innovate themselves in regards to how the rest of the industry has moved along mm-hmm. in regards to like online play and accessibility. But when they look at their prop, that, that in regards to game design, of just like we make the games that we think pe- that we think are best. Mm-hmm. We're not following trends. We're creating them. And again, for better and worse, because there's franchises like, for example, I bang on about it, F Zero where they refuse to make a new game because they can't think of anything innovative to do with it. And I'm like, Which is... well, okay, that's a great inspira- uh, aspiration to have, but I'd also like an F-Zero game that isn't trapped on the GameCube, please. Yeah, I, I respect it to like, in that sense of a creative person. Like, well, I, I can't think of a way to top what I've already done, so I don't mm-hmm. want to. Yeah. It's like, in the same way, it feels like you're bitching at a musician like release new music and they say well i don't feel like i can create anything to top what i've done or that i you know that i feel comfortable doing creatively and then to bitch them like no do it though mm-hmm. or like know. you know a filmmaker making a film it's like you know make a sequel it's like, i don't want to but i want one and it goes back to what we talked about at the start of like that entitlement of like well i a fan i want this new thing you should make the new thing <laughs> And that's why we even, us being aware of it, still display aspects of that behavior. It's something we want or something we're passionate about. Yeah. But yeah, bring back F Zero, I don't care. Or at least, like, let me play it on, like, let me play F Zero GX on the Switch somehow. I don't want to spend, like, £60 buying it off some, like, second hand seller on eBay. Like, give me a way to play old games, Nintendo, please. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, don't take inspiration from Elden Ring. I mean, that's not do the way you they want roll. to, but like, I, that's not, not really Nintendo's MO, no. Yeah. Nintendo's um, MO is to have shot themselves in a fucking vat, a sealed vat, that they just don't take any good or bad inspiration of anyone else. Just completely insulated from uh, the wider gaming industry. As we say, for better and worse. And it's kind of amazing, and I respect it. And they're doing what they want to do. I respect and it, but it is frustrating at times. Yeah. 
as it must be dealing with all things like that. But speaking of which, Luke, speaking of respecting things we're being frustrated by them, would you like to talk about Twitch? Yeah, sure. And your, and your Twitch, would you like to promote your things? Because Thursday, the day this is going out, you'll be playing. So if people listen to this on the day, um, yeah, they'll be able um, to go... Tonight, 10 p.m. BST, if you're listening on the 31st of March, I'll be continuing my Pokemon Legends Arceus adventure on twitch.tv slash Legend of Kanto. Yeah, and if you happen to be around just before that, I'll be playing Final Fantasy X on uh, twitch.tv forward slash Carl S. Wood. Carl's Wood. And if you're around the day after that, tomorrow, keep an eye at 4 o'clock for the Fact Fiend channel to see a big announcement, and the day after that for a uh, the announcement of a live stream. On, that's going to be featuring we'll, all of us. That'll be on YouTube, won't it, the Saturday stream? That'll be on the YouTube channel, yes. That'll mm-hmm. be on Twitch, that's going to be on the YouTube channel. The Mainline Fact Fiend channel, there's a, just a follow-up to that announcement. Hell yeah.